0: Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. So for all these years, one thing I've never done is speak with a veterinary social worker. What is that job? She is a veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Catherine Pankratz. And you know, Dr. Pankratz, this is where I start. What is a veterinary behaviorist?
1: So, a veterinary behaviorist is a veterinarian that has gone through additional study, years of additional study. Years and
0: and years (laughs) and years, yes.
1: Uh, Focusing on this specific kind of specialty, which in my case is behavior um, or psychology, um, both as a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Um, And then we go through an exam and get proven (laughs) that we uh, are, are a specialist.
0: What? attracted you to this specialty? And by the way, it is a specialty. It's the same as a veterinary cardiologist, a veterinary neurologist, a veterinary ophthalmologist. There are a lot of them. This is just one of them. But what attracted you to behavior?
1: Absolutely. I I might resonate with some of the the people listening in, Many years ago, I had challenges with my own pets in in the home. Um, I had two cats that didn't get along. Um, and that going through those motions and trying to help them feel comfortable in their own space and the challenges that was met along the way made me realize that I'm probably not alone in this. And I'd really like to help other people go through that, feel supported through that process and hopefully make a, uh, a successful outcome as well.
0: So I don't know that you would know this about me, but years ago, Years ago, years ago, I worked at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, and I saw what the zoo experts, both keepers and curators and others, were doing to enrich the environments and enrich the lives of everything from, I don't know, spectacled bears to chimpanzees to even some of the reptiles, like a boa constrictor. How can you enrich the environment? And I was fascinated by that and I thought well and this is a long time ago and I thought you know if the zoos are doing this and it wasn't only Lincoln Park the zoos all over the country were doing this all over the world good zoos if if they sh- are doing this and and the animals that are captive animals who live there benefit and they did and there were studies to show that why wouldn't our dogs and cats benefit and I began to talk about enrichment but now Now, all these years later, we have lots of data to indicate the benefits uh, and the necessity, I I dare say, of enriching the lives as a pet parent. It's your responsibility for dogs and for cats, and for that matter, any pet we have at home. Would would you agree with that?
1: 100%. It is very important for their physical and mental well-being.
0: All right. So let's talk about dogs first. Uh, Dogs have an advantage. They do go out into the world all the time. Well, they sometimes do. So a lot of people think, okay, I've got a backyard. The dog's out in the yard doing what the dog does, which may not be all that much unless you have two dogs that play with one another. But even then, unless you're interacting with the dog, they're not doing much in the back. Is just being out in the backyard enough?
1: I think it depends on the individual dogs. We know that The smell can be potentially really enriching for a lot of our dogs. Um, There are some dogs that might find things frightening. Uh, So thinking about what sort of smells they might pick up on the environment might depend on what environment we're sending them into but in addition to kind of what they could pick up in in the yard we know that social connection is also very important for our dogs so having a bond with people um or and or other pets in the home is a really important source for them uh, of enrichment as well
0: there was one study from some Scandinavian country i don't remember but i do remember the result which is essentially that uh, the The most enriching thing you can do with and for a dog is to simply take a leash walk in different places around your own neighborhood.
1: I would say for the majority of our our comfortable dogs, that may be a really helpful source of enrichment.
0: Yeah, and it's something that we don't even think about necessarily. And also, sometimes people, when they walk their dogs, separate topic but not, They want the dog to be a soldier marching at their side. You know, uh, and I understand, absolutely, you don't want your dog to be crazy on the leash and all that. Having said that, I think it's only fair to every once in a while, at least, give your dog an opportunity to sniff whatever the dogs are sniffing, especially if that dog happens to be a beagle or a basset hound or one of those dogs that's born to do that.
1: That's absolutely right. So we, I, we tend to feel that our job as pet owners is to provide physical exercise for our dogs through walking. When in fact, dogs can find a lot of mental enrichment by, by being able to sniff their environment, explore their environment at their own pace instead of kind of the walking pace that we try and have. Um, and so for many comfortable dogs, it can be helpful to have more of that novelty of bringing them to different locations uh, so that they could have that smell uh, enrichment.
0: You know, one thing I'm beginning to talk about is how enrichment can vary depending on the breed you have. So enrichment might look a little different if you have a greyhound compared to a miniature poodle. Compared to a Basset Hound that I mentioned, do you think that's for sure? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So different breeds may have different needs, as well as different, as well as individuals may have different needs. So some dogs may feel really confident and want to be able to explore and interact with their environment, and then we do have some dogs that are more shy or worried about certain things that they might encounter on those walks, and may do better with a different, more private. Um, or curated uh, uh, events out there, such as going into selected, um, protected, fenced-in yards where they could explore without necessarily being bombarded with things that might frighten them.
0: How important, you know, we talked about dogs, I think, live by their nose. Could it be an enriching game to put some novel sense into the environment in your own home? So taking just a bit of your Perfume or cologne, and spraying it on a clean rag, and just dropping it down somewhere. As long as the dog doesn't chew up the rag,
1: absolutely, it's important for them not to eat the item that we might share. Uh, but certain smells may be fun for them to sniff. Some smells might be a bit too strong, uh, depending on the individual's uh, comfort. Uh, so we do want to be aware of that. And then some of the sp- uh, sprays. Um, especially things like essential oil or things that come in a spray bottle, they might contain alcohol as the way to spray out, which could actually be noxious. So we want to make sure that that alcohol, you know, kind of evaporates before we might share it with our pup. Um, But many smells that we could bring in could be enriching for uh, an individual dog.
0: Should we be feeding our dog from a bowl, especially those dogs that inhale their food? like Labradors, which I don't even believe need teeth because they they just take it all in at once, it seems. They're like a vacuum cleaner, right? I know Labradors named Hoover for a reason. So do you think, though, that feeding our dogs a little differently is a good idea? And what would that be?
1: I think it would be really helpful to uh, provide a bit more mental enrichment when it comes to our mealtimes with our dogs. Um, and so that could look like certain means to slow down their uh, their meal time and make that last longer. Uh, not only is that going to be mentally enriching, but it can help their brain uh, feel satiated and full. Um, so those might look like uh, food puzzles, um, which the majority of which we want to make sure are really safe for our dogs. Uh, so they are constructed so that our dog doesn't destroy or eat the actual food puzzle itself, but a means to slow down their eating process and think through their meal.
0: And there's a condition called bloat, which can occur in some breeds more than others uh, when that food is kind of inhaled. So what we're describing would also at least lessen the chance of that, too, I believe.
1: Correct. Correct. If we can slow down their food, we give time for the body to work through that without um, making certain things uh, move in the way that they shouldn't. So it does decrease that risk.
0: And if nothing else, we are an equal opportunity radio show, enriching lives of cats. That's next with Dr. Catherine Pankratz on WGN. We're talking to veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Catherine Pankratz, about the importance of enrichment. So while I think think it's necessary for dogs. It's even, if this is more possible to say, and I wonder if you agree, even somehow more necessary and often overlooked for cats. What do you think?
1: I completely agree. We often have this misinterpretation that cats are just happy to be in the home that we provide, which although true in its own right, uh, they do have needs that are really important for us to recognize since they're so dependent on us uh, to provide all of those physical and emotional needs for them.
0: So one thing I say is if it's a cat, that cat, if it's a cat, is born with a prey drive. Am I right about that? And if so... Do we need to do something to sort of make that cat happy?
1: Absolutely. So cats are what we call mid-sized predators, which means although they're really good at hunting things and they like to hunt small meals multiple times throughout the day, uh, they're also at risk of bigger apex predators um, going after them. So we to help them feel comfortable, we want to give them the ability to feel safe, the ability to hide and get away, such as giving hiding places or elevated surfaces, as well as giving them ways in which they can forage and hunt and stalk and grab um, their potential, quote-unquote, meal of sorts.
0: You know, I think we all want to feel safe. I mean, as human beings, I, I think that that is something that is... Not dependent on culture, just if you're a human being, you want to feel safe. Uh, For dogs, the same is true. I think it's even more true somehow, some way for cats. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. Again, this goes back to them being that potential prey to a bigger predator. So they need to be able to feel safe. They're also in they're not they're in a flexible social relationship. So they're oftentimes an individual hunter. So they don't have someone walking, watching their back and making sure that they're safe. They need to do that themselves.
0: How does vertical space play into all of that?
1: So vertical space uh, allows our kitties to be able to go up high, which can help them get out of reach of potential threats from their perspective. And they can look around their environment to make sure that everything looks safe uh, before they might want to go out and explore the environment.
0: Do you think it's necessary, and I say that word on purpose, necessary, that if you have a cat, Or cats, because most people don't have one cat. They have, what, 2.3 cats, I think it is? So if you have cats, that there's plenty of vertical space where cats are allowed to go. So so many people say, cat can't go on the counter. So I say that's fine if you offer vertical space, preferably in that same room, for that cat or those cats. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. For all of our physically mobile cats, it's really important to provide them those levels of elevation or they're going to find it themselves. So if you have cats in the areas that you don't want them to, it might be a sign that we're not meeting their needs and looking in other ways that we can provide almost this win-win relationship of here's a more appropriate elevated surface for you to get on so that you can keep your elevated surfaces potentially more cat-free.
0: I want to talk in a moment about feeding cats as we did dogs. But I want to go old school on you. As we talk about enrichment, we talked earlier about dogs, you know, when they're on a walk, letting them sniff the sniffs, getting the 411 on what other dogs have been out in the neighborhood or the squirrels that have checked out that same place. Uh, for cats, they're generally, although more and more people are doing this, going out on walks and things. But we can make the indoor environment stimulating, too. One thing I'm thinking about is... As I said, going old school. Catnip or silver vine or one of those Valerian root. Similar, we know, safe sense for most cats. There are some cats that actually don't enjoy catnip, they ignore it. Some cats actually get aggressive, but for most cats, that's not the case. Do you think it's something we could do? periodically for our cats and they still don't they don't have to go to the betty ford center because they get addicted to it i don't think
1: right you're definitely right i'd say for the majority of our cats it can be a form of enrichment having those uh smells that are fun and predictable um and that they they find enjoyable
0: who are boxes for
1: Boxes can be for so much. Uh, Not only are they coming in probably more frequently uh, to our own homes, but they can be a really cheap and free, uh, safe place for your kitties. Uh, Not only are they a good hiding place, but they could also be a form of enrichment and uh, smells that are fun for them to explore, too. All
0: right, I want to talk about food. So I have said many times it's not only what we feed our dogs or cats, but it's how we feed them. So earlier we talked a bit about how to better feed our dogs. What about cats?
1: Exactly an important piece of that. Since they use a lot of their time to try and hunt and forage, it can be really vitally important to slow down their feeding and allow them to work for their food, Um, but also really important to avoid some frustration, especially if we're going to try and introduce a new food puzzle. Uh, But using food puzzles is a way that we can meet some of those needs.
0: Uh, So give me an example of what you're talking about.
1: So for an example of a food puzzle, uh, this could look like uh, using a toilet paper roll that we can close off, like tape up with paper on both sides and cut a hole out of it, and we can put their food in there so they bat it around and a couple of pieces of kibble might uh, fall out. Um, This can be a really great starting place because you can manipulate how big that hole is and how easy it might be for those foods to fall out before frustrating your kitty.
0: And who doesn't have a toilet tube roll at some point in time? It's not exactly. a, yeah, it's not an expensive thing to do, and that I mean there are all sorts of food puzzles that you can now i mean I remember when I first began to do this, and there were like- w- there was one <laughs> actually uh it was a little pink ball that they called the play and treat ball i remember uh and and now there's more like a hundred and one or something. I mean, there are dozens and dozens of choices out there.
1: Absolutely, you've got uh, anything that you can purchase. Uh, There's a whole variety, both for dry food, for wet food, for stationary food puzzles or moving puzzles. And then for those of us that might be a bit more cost conscious, um, there's a lot of inspiration on how we could do it out of uh, some of our recycled products Mm -hmm. um, and make it yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I'll tell you this on the air, even though I use mouthwash. And I used one of the tops of the mouthwash thing that screws on. When I was done with the mouthwash, I recycled the, the container. The mouth mouthwash was in. And I took the plastic top and I just put some kibble in it. And that, voila, it became a feeding object. And then I put it in another room and kind of rolled it around. And the cat saw, our cat's name is our kitten's name is Groucho, that this thing can roll. And it became a toy right there.
1: Absolutely. Something as simple as like a Dixie cup or a mug can just require a little bit more enrichment uh, for them to knock it over paw paw it out, um, which is a little bit more than feeding it from a bowl.
0: Well, I will say it's enriching talking to Dr. Catherine Pankratz. Veterinary behaviorist, my life will never be the same. Thank you, doctor.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Next week, this is so exciting. It's that time of year again. The canine cruise launches. This is where a Mercury Skyline cruise line that have a variety of different cruises that go, you know, up and down the Chicago River, out onto Lake Michigan, offers a cruise for dogs. And Holly Agra will be here and I'm sure she'll describe how this all began with this radio show on WGN. And now other cities around the country have replicated the same thing. It is so much fun. Fun. We'll also talk uh, with Grace Wilkerson, who's the chief dog trainer for the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. This is an organization, a nonprofit that does so much good, and in a sense, we had something to do with that as well, right here on WGN. The way in which they train these dogs is absolutely fascinating, and we'll learn more about that next week. Taylor Saint Ange is now. Are you ready for this? a veterinary social worker. What is that with the premier veterinary group? I saw you at Bark in the Park, Taylor, and I thought, wow, this is something when I thought I've covered everything there is to cover in the world of pets, here's something I've not really covered. And I think that the general public, I would argue even veterinary professionals, may not know this profession even exists. So explain what this... Novel, unique profession is in the first place.
2: Yeah, so we are a new and growing field over the last, I would say, 20 years or so. Um, So we come in all different um, areas in the field. So some of us, like myself, work inside of emergency and specialty hospitals, Some of us work inside veterinary universities, um, some with um, humane societies and animal control, and some even work in private practice. Um, So for the in-hospital side that I do, um, I support both our clients and our associates. Um, So with clients, um, that comes with a really big part of the job is um, euthanasia and pet loss support. So, supporting our owners through what can be probably one of the worst times of their life. Yeah, literally. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's really tough. I mean, unless it's happened to you, you may not completely understand how difficult it can be. And if it's happened to you, you know exactly what we're talking about. But I interrupted. I'm sorry. So, you also do some other things you're about to tell me.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um I will do some like quality of life and end of life support. So if we've got an owner that's struggling to make the decision is it time, um we can have a discussion about that. Um I can provide resources for palliative and hospice care maybe Fluffy is really afraid of the hospital, and that wouldn't be a good death for them in the end. Um, Maybe having that happen at home um, in a safe and comfortable environment would be better, so I can provide resources for that. Um, I can have a conversation about end-of-life, like, if this is your first loss, what is this going to look like? What is the aftermath going to look like? What are the options for Do you want to do burial? Do you want to do cremation? Where can you go for that? Um, So we can have that sort of discussion. Um, I can do just general emotional support because it's stressful (laughs) to bring your pet to an emergency hospital. It's really not something that's ever planned in your day. You don't plan to, hey, I'm going to take my dog in at 3 p.m. to the ER. You know, So it's scary and it's overwhelming. So I can be with owners and support them through that. Mm -hmm. Um, I can help facilitate ICU visits when their pet is in hospital for several days. Um, So there's really a lot of support that we can do with the human-animal bond.
0: Now, the veterinary profession in itself uh, has been struggling for many years now. I mean, suicide among veterinary professionals is the greatest by percent of any medical profession, which people generally don't know. Uh, so do you help veterinarians through something of that nature? And even if we're not talking about suicide, through uh, depression, through quality of life issues, et- et cetera.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that I do for them is I give them their time back. So if we're, um, during the day, if we've got a really heavy case, um, and it's an owner who can't decide and it just has a lot of things going on, I will take over the emotional aspect. There's no reason for our vet staff to continually be in there and taking on that emotional load. Um, So I will stay with the client and we'll work things out that way. Um, And that kind of takes that off the, the vet. So that reduces their compassion fatigue, that reduces their burnout, their euthanasia, distress, because I'm taking over that part of the case. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can also do like one-on-one meetings with our staff. So if it's something work-related, if it's something in their personal life, we can have a conversation. I can connect them with resources. Um, I can do case debriefings. So maybe that's just one-on-one, like a case that I have with someone. Or maybe it's a case that's been in our ICU for several days and it's been wearing on our entire team. We can have a group debrief about the case of what went wrong, what went right, how do we feel about it and really pick it apart
0: what i'm interested in is your background what is someone who does what you do do you have a background in veterinary medicine in social work where does it start
2: yeah so i actually fell into this field i was not planning on it um i wanted human hospice Social work That was my end goal, um, and my field placement for my master's program, they were all out of human social work, medical um, options, so they said, we have veterinary, um, and I looked at the description and said, yes, that is exactly <laughs> what I want. It's emergency trauma, but also grief and loss, and I get to see all of these animals, <laughs> um, and I started my field placement. I ended up, I was at Lakeshore Veterinary Specialist in Wisconsin. Um, I ended up loving it so much I stayed on an extra semester and then was hired on. Um, so I have a little different background getting into it by coming into the field through a field internship. Um, most people do not have any sort of veterinary background coming into the VSW field. Most of them are like human hospice, child welfare, um behavioral health. Um, But there's also, you can also go through, the University of Tennessee has a master's program um, and they also have a post-graduate certificate for veterinary social work. So a lot of people are choosing that route too to get some background information before getting into the field.
0: What surprises you most about being in this field that you did not expect?
2: I think I always knew how disenfranchised pet grief and pet owners are because you hear those comments like it's just a dog right um but actually every day when i do like my follow-up calls i'm just continually surprised by things that people um will say to our clients like people in their their life like their family and their friends the really dismissive comments
0: do people still Um, i'm sorry to interrupt do people still say that because i you know if you were if you were 80 years old and you were saying mm-hmm. well 25 years ago you know but you're not mm-hmm. you're saying people uh, from what i understand if i'm understanding correctly you're saying people still say that every
2: day yeah yeah they do and it it really um takes a toll on our pet owners cuz then they're like am i grieving wrong like Am I blowing this out of proportion? And they're not. It's their child they just lost.
0: Well, it is. And they call them Mm -hmm. fur babies, I think, for Mm -hmm. a reason. And there's lots of data to indicate that, Mm -hmm. yes, most people, first of all, most people who have a pet in America today, oh, back up even one more step. Most people in America have a pet. So we are talking about most people, which is what Mm -hmm. surprises me. About hearing that comment today. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are workplaces that Mm -hmm. if your pet passes away, they'll give you the day off. Or a Mm -hmm. couple of days off to grieve. Similar as if you lost a family member. But it is the same. You have lost a family Mm -hmm. member. Secondly, we know that millennials in particular... They, they're they the ones who said fur babies in the first place. It's that term that came from that generation. And for that generation, their babies may literally be their pets. They probably, or may not, not probably, but they may not, have children with two legs. They have children with four legs. So the loss, of course, how can it not hit real hard? I want to talk more about that. I want to talk about pet loss and much more when we come back with veterinary social worker, Taylor St. Ange, from the Premier Veterinary Group. Taylor St. Ange is a veterinary social worker with the Premier Veterinary Group. Taylor, we were talking about pet loss, and that is a significant part of what you do. Do you help adults separate? and help children separate. I would think, I don't know, this is not my area of expertise. I know nothing about social work, but I would think that you help them differently, I assume. And it used to be, back in the day, mom and dad would say, well, the dog went to a farm or something like that, you know, when the dog passes away. Uh, I, I hope parents still aren't being told to say that
2: yeah definitely not (laughs) um so i do support both of our our kids and our adult clients um really when i'm having a conversation with a parent about um their impending loss or the loss that's currently happening um i really just encourage them to be as honest and open with their kids as they can um to be as transparent um as the kid will understand with their level of development Um, and really the biggest part is keeping their kid as in invested in any sort of memorial projects as the kid wants to be so maybe the kid does not want to take part in any projects that's okay Um, but if they do I really encourage that as a way of healthy expression to get those emotions out so if that Maybe the family making a scrapbook of photos of the pet together. If that's drawing little pictures of the pet together, writing down memories as a family of the pet, um, and maybe framing that or keeping it in a book—just um, something that the family works together on their grief with—is I think um, the healthiest way.
0: <laughs> and and <laughs> um, everyone, to help kids. and I've been told by those who are expert in this area that we all need an outlet. Uh, Kids Mm -hmm. included. And we express ourselves all differently. So for one child, it may be the best thing is sitting down and talking to you and or uh, not necessarily and or, you know, one or the other or both a family member uh, about it, Mm -hmm. too. But they may feel more comfortable talking to the quote unquote stranger, which is you. Uh, uh, Maybe coloring, Uh, depending on the age of the the child, of course, but Mm -hmm. uh, coloring pictures that are related to the pet or making things, you know, making paper bag cutouts or something that are supposed Mm -hmm. to look like that pet. Whatever it is that everyone, including incidentally adults, although I don't think that adults are doing paper bag cutouts, but everyone needs some sort of outlet. Is that Mm -hmm. right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I very much encourage memorialization of how can we keep your pet's memory honored and how can we make this devastating loss make you feel a little better inside with it. Um so if that's maybe having jewelry made of your pet's paw and you wear that every day and you always have them with you, um some sort of memorialization. I always Strongly encourage.
0: So it's funny that you mention that because we have a sponsor here at WGN Radio that does exactly that. Forged and formed, F-O-R-G-E-D, and formed. And what they do is exactly what you describe, not only for pet loss. It certainly can be to celebrate a pet that is very much with you, but it Mm -hmm. can be a way to remember a pet. And you always have that piece of jewelry with you, or at least you can. Always have that piece of jewelry with you, so that is a great idea as well. Is it better to do the euthanasia itself with a child there, or should the child come home and mom and dad explain? Well, something happened, and here's what happened.
2: I get this question all the time. <laughs> I'm sure, um, and I th- I think it just depends on the kid, right? Because at the end of the day, mom and dad are the parents know their child the best. Right? Um, so if they think that their kid can handle it, by all means have them in the room. It's a very peaceful process. Make sure the kid is okay with it and wants to be there and knows what's happening. Um, if the kid doesn't want to be there, obviously we have to But going at what make age them.
0: so there's a cer a five year old I don't think would know really what is happening. Mm-hmm. So for a child that young or younger uh, and again, it depends on the individual child, I'm sure. But should is it better to actually not have the child witness all that intense emotion uh, because they're not going to understand what's going on anyway?
2: Mm, I, again, I think it depends on the case because um, I've definitely had cases where there's small kids in the room and their presence. Um, but I've also had cases where um, I had an owner who had two kids with them. One was maybe like eight or so, and the other was three. Um, And they wanted the eight-year-old in the room. The eight-year-old did want to be there. And then the younger one, I actually brought her into a separate room because they didn't want her present. And we colored and we talked about memories of Mm. her pet. Yeah. Um, So it really kind of depends on the situation.
0: How about adults? You know, so there was a survey that was done, and I don't remember the number, but it was over a third of, of all pet parents didn't want to and aren't there for the uh, the euthanizing of their animal uh Mm -hmm. and veterinarians that i know and i personally would agree feel uh you know what suck it up because Mm -hmm. that pet deserves you being there there's no way that animal can understand exactly what's going on and at least at the very end of life That animal can, most importantly, smell you, but also see you, hear you. Uh, But there's another side of that coin that, you know, you're so distressed that you're distressing the animal even more. Mm -hmm. So what what do you think?
2: Yeah, so I think it also, if we look at it through like a trauma-informed care lens, we all come with baggage right our clients come in to the hospital we don't know what they've been through in their life they could have just lost their entire family they could have just lost their house in a fire whatever it is um but they might not be able to emotionally be there for another loss maybe it's bringing back feelings of losing another pet maybe it's bringing back feelings of losing a family member that just passed a week ago right um, so I always, when owners tell me, like, I just, I can't be present for that. Like, I just have, I'm not able to do that. I always validate their feelings, right? Because it's never, it's never wrong to feel what they're feeling. Um, I understand it's very difficult to be present for someone that you love dying in front of you. Um, and I always just reassure them that's all right. Um, our team will stay with Fluffy. I generally ask if the pet is. If they're, like, still eating, what their favorite things are, maybe we can get them a little snack. Um, I typically ask, where does Fluffy like to be pet? Like, does he like to be rubbed behind his ears, his tail? We'll make sure that it's a really peaceful passing, um, and the owners always really appreciate that.
1: Well, that's but, again,
2: got... it, it, it is difficult for yeah. our vet staff, like you said.
0: Yeah, and that um, all but... has to take a toll on you, I imagine. Now, the good news is we don't have time for me to ask about that. Uh, But I do appreciate talking to you. Very, very interesting conversation. Taylor St. Ange, veterinary social worker at Premier Veterinary Group. Thank you so much. Thank you. So if it's really hot outside, as the weather has occasionally been, but gets really, 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 really hot, and I'm talking 90 degrees or more, it's really tough. Or that smoke comes in again from Canada, The humidity goes up. Dogs do feel humidity as well. It's really tough for a lot of dogs to be outside, at least for very long. And it should be. Those dogs should not be outside. I'm talking about brachiocephalic dogs like bulldogs, French bulldogs, pugs that look like they walked into a wall, you know, because they've limited airway and they can't do it. It's too much for them. Or I'm talking about geriatric dogs. So there are things you can do with your dogs to entertain them indoors. Go on a field trip. Go to a pet store. Uh, They allow dogs. Go to uh, Lowe's or Home Depot or another home improvement store, maybe a hardware store that allows dogs. Or a friend's house that has a dog that you know is friendly with your dog. You can check out the Canine Cruise that we're going to be talking about next week on the show. There are lots of possibilities for you. You can play hide-and-seek indoors. That is the greatest game ever. So someone goes to hide. Someone else has the dog on a sit-stay and says, free, and the dog goes from room to room. I mean, you cannot find a place where the dog will not find you. Try it. Try sitting in the bathtub or closing yourself off in a closet. The dog will find you. It's great fun for people, for kids to be entertained as well. If they're the ones hiding, It's a great idea. Working for food. Using food puzzles or snuffle mats. Those look like shaggy rugs, kind of, if you're not familiar. They're available wherever pet products are sold. Play fetch. Use a squeaky toy, a tennis ball. You can create your little obstacle course for little dogs using soup cans. Be creative. But keep your dog indoors if it's that hot outdoors. We'll see you next week, bright and early, right here on WGN.